0: You won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too.
1: What up? I am Dramos, host of the Life as a Gringo podcast. This is a show for the No Sabo kids, the the 200 percenters. Here we celebrate your otherness and embrace living in the gray area. Every Tuesday, I'll be bringing you conversations around personal growth, issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy B. Wilson and I'm Holly Fry when we talk about the civil rights movement in the United States, one piece of historical context that comes up pretty frequently is that African-American soldiers returned home from serving in World War II to find that even though they had just risked their lives for their country, they were still being treated as second-class citizens as they had been before that. They were still the targets of intense discrimination and segregation. So the idea is that this, incongruity between having served a nation at the risk of one's own life and then being treated that way by that nation after getting home again prompted a lot of people to advocate for their own equal treatment. And so that it's a little more complicated than that. But that at its heart is basically true. But it also was not unique to black soldiers or as we are going to talk about in another episode, a little farther down the road. It also wasn't unique to World War II. But today we are going to talk about how World War II prompted efforts toward equal rights for Hispanics and Latinos in the United States. And we're going to do that by telling the story of Macario Garcia. Garcia was born in Mexico and was the first Mexican national to be awarded the Medal of Honor, which is the United States Armed Forces highest award for valor. But when he got back to Texas, he found that he was still the target of segregation and discrimination himself. So we are going to talk about that story today.
4: Macario Garcia was born in Villa de Castano, Mexico on January 2nd of 1920. His parents were Luciano and Josefa Garcia and he was one of 10 children.
0: The Garcias were farm workers and in 1923 they moved to Texas with the hope of finding work as farm laborers. They settled near Sugarland, which is outside of Houston in Fort Bend County. I have asked multiple Texan people whether it is Sugarland or Sugarland. And I got two different answers. So we're saying Sugarland. Although Sugarland is now a city, at this point, this area was quite rural. In 1956, which is about a decade after this story takes place, there were only about 2,200 people living there.
4: Macario's parents both got jobs working on a cotton farm, and Macario eventually left school to work on a ranch.
0: By 1940, World War II was well underway elsewhere in the world and it was clear that the United States might be drawn in as well. So, on September 16th of 1940, the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940, also called the Burke-Wadsworth Act, was signed into law by President Franklin D. Roosevelt. It required men between the ages of 21 and 36, regardless of whether they were citizens, to register with the draft board. It also established a lottery that would be used to draft soldiers into the military. Since the United States wasn't actually at war at this point, This is considered to be the first peacetime draft in United States history.
4: And the draft began that October. The United States entered the war on December 7th of 1941 after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And in 1942, when he was 22, Macario Garcia was drafted.
0: Although African-American soldiers were segregated into their own units at this point, Hispanic and Anglo soldiers served together, so Garcia became a private in U.S. Army B Company, 1st Battalion, 22nd Infantry, 4th Infantry Division. He was part of the Allies' D-Day invasion, and he was wounded at Normandy. He spent four months after that uh, recovering, and we don't really have a lot of detail there other than that he went on to rejoin his unit after he had recovered.
4: The event that earned Garcia the Medal of Honor took place on November 27th of 1944. Machine gunners, protected by trees, were blocking his company's advance en route to Cologne, Germany. There was almost no cover between Garcia's company and the machine gunners, and they were pinned down. Garcia, who was acting as a squad leader, volunteered to try to take out the nests.
0: He basically crawled toward one machine gun nest and lobbed grenades into it destroying the gun before shooting three soldiers who tried to escape. In the process, he was shot himself in the shoulder and the foot.
4: When he tried to return to his company, though, another machine gunner in a second nest opened fire. Even though he was already wounded, he approached that second gun as well, killing three other soldiers and taking four prisoners. He refused to be evacuated until the area was secure, and he was hospitalized for two months after this. He was offered a promotion that would have made him a lieutenant, but he elected to return to his company instead.
0: story kind of amazes me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not only did he single-handedly take out two machine gun nests, he did it while injured. Um, so, shortly before the end of the war, after Garcia returned to the United States, President Harry S. Truman presented him along with 27 other soldiers with the Medal of Honor. This happened at a ceremony at the White House. That was on August 23rd of 1945. While draping the medal around Garcia's neck, Truman reportedly told him, I would rather earn this than be president.
4: In addition to his Medal of Honor, Garcia also received a Purple Heart, which, in case you did not know, is presented to those who are wounded or killed, the Bronze Star, which is for, quote, heroic or meritorious achievement, and the Combat Infantryman's Badge.
0: After serving in the United States Army for three years, one of them in overseas combat, Macario Garcia was honorably discharged with the rank of sergeant.
4: When he returned home to Sugarland, he received a hero's welcome and he was treated as a celebrity. Local newspapers wrote stories about him and local governments and civic organizations blooded him with requests for speeches and appearances. The League of United Latin American Citizens Council, also known as LULAC, held a special ceremony to honor him at the nearby Richmond courthouse, followed by a party and a dance on September 9th of 1945.
0: So the Hispanic and Latino community in Texas was quite proud of Macario Garcia, and so were the Sugarland and Greater Houston areas as a whole. So it's a little surprising what happened the next day, which is what we're going to talk about after a brief sponsor break.
1: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: We started talking about this incident, drugs, and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew
0: who he was before they got here.
3: A story about money, power, and corruption.
0: A little less than three weeks after his Medal of Honor ceremony and the day after a dance had been held in his honor, on September 10th, 1945, Macario Garcia made the news again. And this time it was after an incident at a Richmond, Texas restaurant. This is about 10 miles from his home in Sugarland. It was the same town where the party and the dance had been held at the, at the county courthouse the night before. Richmond is the county seat of that county.
4: Many restaurants and public areas were at this point segregated in terms of both race and ethnicity. And while Jim Crow laws made segregation of African-Americans commonplace, particularly in the South, Texas was at that point the only state with a large Hispanic population. So in Texas, segregation also targeted Mexican-Americans and other people whose origins were in Mexico or other parts of Central and South America.
0: As a side note, this was also true in other states that had other large populations of other minorities. So communities with large populations of people with Asian ancestry, for example, had segregation laws and practices that targeted those groups specifically as well.
4: And while Richmond's Oasis Cafe didn't have signs posted about who was or wasn't allowed to eat there, It had a reputation as a white establishment, one that just didn't offer food, music, or entertainment intended to appeal to a Hispanic customer base. In the words of the owner's son, Louis Payton, speaking in a documentary, quote, we had very few blacks or Mexican-Americans come in and ask for service because we didn't cater to their needs. So we just didn't see any of them.
0: While there were also other restaurants in Richmond that did serve Hispanic and Latino customers, The Oasis Cafe was really Richmond's only night spot, and this incident happened around 11 p.m.
4: And there's some dispute as to what actually happened. Garcia's assertion was that he arrived at the restaurant and its owner, Donna Andrews, refused him service because he was Mexican. He was furious. He had just served the United States in wartime, risked his life, been awarded a Medal of Honor, along with many other recognitions for his heroism and patriotism. And now, back in Texas he was being refused service for his ethnicity. In his version of the story, he demanded an explanation, physically resisted being thrown out, and was hit with a baseball bat.
0: The restaurant's assertion was that Garcia was drunk and belligerent from the start, and that he was refused service for that reason, not because of his ethnicity. In the restaurant's version of the story, Garcia started throwing things pretty much immediately, and also hit the owner in the mouth.
4: Regardless of how it went down, though, everyone agrees that Garcia was refused service. The restaurant's owners called the police, and Garcia was removed from the premises and taken to jail. Garcia insisted throughout that his treatment at the Oasis Cafe was because he was Mexican. The sheriff ultimately decided to let him go home.
0: Here's how this was later reported in the Texas Coaster, which was the weekly local paper, and its issue that came out on September 25th. Quote, The incident, which has caused widespread interest, occurred after Mrs. Andrews refused service in the cafe to Garcia and his party on the night of September 10. Mrs. Andrews and her brother, Pete Lower, who was a partner in the cafe business, said in statements made to county attorney Brown that they refused service to Garcia, quote, because he had been drinking. The affidavit stated that after being refused service, Garcia broke sugar bowls, salt and pepper shakers, ketchup bottles, several bottles of wine, water glasses, and three window panes, and struck Mrs. Andrews in the mouth with his fist before he was quieted. After he struck Mrs. Andrews, the statements continued, a struggle ensued between Garcia and Lower and Mrs. Andrews' son, Louis Payton. Garcia was quieted after he was hit across the back with a baseball bat, the statement said.
4: According to the same Texas Coaster article, the responding deputy confirmed that Garcia had been drinking, but said he did not know
0: of any damage to the restaurant. So, September 25th was more than two weeks after the original incident actually happened. But the Texas Coaster was a weekly newspaper, and there are a couple of reasons for this lengthy gap between the event happening and the article coming out. One was that the Texas Coaster had originally considered reporting the story in its previous issue, but then it decided not to out of respect for Garcia being a war hero. Number two, at the point of the prior issue's preparation, it just didn't seem like that much of a story. The sheriff had sent Garcia home. The whole thing seemed like kind of a minor isolated scuffle with two sides telling pretty distinctly different stories about it.
4: However, John J. Herrera, one of the area's only Mexican-American lawyers, was also one of the community leaders who had helped plan Garcia's reception and ceremonies that took place prior to the incident at the Oasis Cafe. Herrera's involvement in Hispanic and Latino social and civic organizations meant he was very aware of the real ongoing prejudices and discrimination in Texas. And he thought Garcia's story was exactly the sort that would raise awareness of that discrimination. And it would rally the Mexican-American community and possibly the Anglo community as well around fighting for equality. And he hoped that it would perhaps force local and state governments to take action
0: to end it. So someone, almost certainly Herrera, tipped off gossip columnist and radio host Walter Winchell that a war hero and Medal of Honor recipient had been refused service at a restaurant because of his ethnicity. So on September 23rd, 1945, Winchell gave a scathing account of the whole thing, which really wasn't entirely accurate on his radio show. He said that this had occurred in Sugarland rather than in Richmond. He described the involvement of two sailors who seem not to have existed at all. And he also reported that Garcia wound up in the hospital afterward.
4: So if Walter Winchell's name rings a bell and you're struggling to place it uh, and can't quite remember why, longtime listeners will remember that he also played a part in the Tokyo Rose episode from when Sarah and Dublina were hosting together. He was actually one of the people who stirred up outrage against Iva Dequino.
0: Once Winchell's radio program and his column were out, this story really spread all over the country with a lot of the tone being that Fort Bend County was a racist, discriminatory and incompetent place, especially against war heroes.
4: So it was only after this story was suddenly everywhere, with it consistently being covered as an act of discrimination against a war hero based on his ethnicity, that the county actually took legal action against Garcia. And the Texas Coaster printed that story that we quoted from. Garcia was charged with aggravated assault, and John J. Herrera, along with other lawyers in the months that followed, took the case.
0: We will talk about what happened when this got to court after another brief word from one of the great sponsors that keep the show on the air.
1: Culture, and invite you to walk in your authenticity. Listen to Life as a Gringo as a part of the Michael Tura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Who hasn't heard names like Achilles or Odysseus, Cassandra, Medusa? But how much do you know about them from the ancient world? Let's talk about myths, baby. Is the podcast bringing the ancient sources to life? Greek myth and history is timeless, and unless you've been living under a rock, you have seen just how true that is today. But there is so much more to these characters and stories than what pop culture can do justice. I'm Liv Albert, the host of Let's Talk About Myths, Baby, and every week I bring you stories from the ancient world, both mythological and historical, to breathe new life into these thousands of years old stories.
3: a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: To get back to Macario Garcia's story, regardless of whether Wintells broadcast and all the reporting that followed it were totally accurate or not, people were definitely outraged at the idea that a highly decorated veteran had been denied service. The Fuhrer did exactly what John J. Herrera had hoped that it would. It galvanized the Mexican-American community in the area, and it raised the ire of the Anglo community as well. Robert
4: E. Smith, the chairman of the Good Neighbor Commission, posted Garcia's bond after charges were filed, and community organizations started raising money to help pay his legal fees
0: was also huge media interest in the court proceedings. In the late fall of 1945, when the case was supposed to come to trial, the judge, who was named Charles Schultz, was quoted as saying, quote, nearly all the newspapers in the, in the state have asked for courtroom space to hear the case.
4: However, that November, Fort Bend County requested a postponement, and the trial was put off until the February 1946 session. Then, just before the trial was about to begin, another Mexican-American veteran was also denied service at the Oasis Cafe, apparently after an act of disobedience that was intended to mimic Garcia's initial arrest and bring the issue back to the forefront.
0: Yeah, he basically went to the, the cafe with a friend, both of them already drunk, and caused trouble on purpose to get thrown out to make it major news again, which worked. It meant that Garcia's original encounter, along with all the inaccurate reporting that had followed it, was once again all re-reported, which put all eyes back on Fort Bend County with the idea that it was an unfair and discriminatory place for Hispanics. So the county took the probably pretty prudent move to try to reschedule the trial once again, this time until June, when hopefully the news would not be so focused on it or so openly critical of Fort Bend County officials.
4: At this point, James V. Allred became Garcia's attorney of record. This was a huge deal. Allred had been the Texas attorney general, as well as a federal district judge and the governor. Having such an enormously high-profile Anglo attorney representing Garcia proved to be too much for the county, which quietly dropped the charges, and Garcia quietly returned to life as a private citizen.
0: Even though Garcia's case never actually came to trial, all the publicity surrounding it did have the result that Herrera seems to have hoped for from the beginning. The movement for equal rights for Mexican-Americans and others within the Hispanic and Latino communities, which had been kind of loosely organized before this point, did begin to come together for more meaningful and effective collective actions.
4: Herrera would go on to be part of other important civil rights cases in Texas and elsewhere, including fighting to overturn the verdicts in several criminal cases against Mexican-American defendants that had been tried with deliberately all Anglo juries. One of these, Hernandez v. Texas, eventually went to the United States Supreme Court, which unanimously found that intentionally excluding jury members that shared a defendant's race or ethnicity violated the Equal Protection Clause Of the 14th Amendment.
0: Yeah, that ruling was basically you cannot promise somebody a trial by the jury of their peers and then specifically exclude all their peers from the jury. That's not okay. Herrera was also one of the lawyers who was part of the school segregation case that became known as Mendez versus Westminster, which we've talked about in another podcast. During all of
4: this, Garcia was still a Mexican national. And on January 8th of 1946, that was a few months before the charges against him were dropped. He actually traveled to Mexico City, where he was awarded the Merito Militar, which is an award for exceptional acts of heroism.
0: Macario Garcia became an American citizen on June 25th, 1947. He earned his high school diploma four years later and then married Alicia Reyes on May 18th, 1952. Eventually, Garcia became a counselor for the Veterans Administration, which is a job that he held for 25 years. On December 24th,
4: 1972, Macario Garcia was killed in a car accident. He was survived by his wife and children. and Sources actually differ on how many children they had. Uh, he was buried with full military honors, with an honor guard from Fort Sam Houston in
0: San Antonio, present at the graveside. In his eulogy, John J. Herrera said... Macario Garcia was made in the best traditions of the country of his birth and of his ancestors, Mexico, and of his adopted country, the United States, for which he was willing to offer and give his last measure of devotion, all of this, as a private infantryman in the United States Army, as a winner of the Congressional Medal of Honor, and finally as a counselor in the Veterans Administration of the United States. Nine years after
4: Garcia's death, the Houston City Council changed the name of 69th Street, which runs through a predominantly Mexican-American neighborhood, to Macario Garcia Drive.
0: Houston's Macario Garcia Army Reserve Center was dedicated in 1983. And the following year, a middle school in Sugarland was also named after him. That is a story of Macario Garcia. Which I had never heard at all before, so. I had not either. And, uh, I. It's one of those things that it seems obvious <laughs> that um, that while there were definitely black soldiers who came home from the war and were like, this is not acceptable. Let's let's work together to change it. That that did not only affect black soldiers. And it also didn't only affect uh, World War II, which we talked about at the top of the podcast. But I, that's a teaser for a later episode that will come Probably later this fall.
4: Well, and it's also another good example of like how sometimes the accounts are fuzzy and we have to kind of muddle through and figure out as a people, not necessarily us specifically, but kind of how we proceed. And uh, I think it's important to point those out. Like there's very few black and white kind of easily sussed out moments in history. There are sides to every story and we try to mm-hmm. talk about all of them, but this is a, a very good example of... We have fairly recent, relatively speaking to some of the other things we talk about on the podcast, accounts, and they just do not quite match up.
0: Right. Well, and if the case had come to trial, there would probably be a more definitive answer about actually what happened, because there would have been lots of witnesses and sworn testimony. And and it might not have been totally clear, but maybe a little less, two totally different accounts of the same story. Do you also have listener mail? I do. We're going to do listener mail a little differently today. So I got uh, an email from Mary and Mary and I had an email conversation uh, and it's about the recent interview that we had with Dennis Carr from the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston, about their exhibition called Made in the Americas, which is about Asia's influence on the colonial North and South America in terms of art and decorative art and all that kind of stuff. Um, Our email exchange was rather lengthy, which is one of the reasons I'm not going to read all of it. But basically, she wrote in to talk about the Casta paintings which there's only one of in the exhibition, and that depicts um, a, a white man, a, an African woman, and a child who is presumably their child, who is uh, multiracial. So, as we alluded to in the episode, these paintings were done as sets. It was like a whole genre of these paintings that were done as sets, documenting the social and racial and ethnic hierarchies that emerged in Mexico during the colonial era. And uh, Dennis Carr described these basically as being advertising spin that were written or that were created to sort of reassure the people in Spain that they were sent to that, yes, there were complicated complicated social and racial situations uh, in Mexico, but the things were okay. So when I heard his answer, I was sort of interpreting as... uh that these were kind of self serving and deceptive paintings meant to portray a specific aspect of Mexico positively. What Mary wrote in to point out is a whole other aspect of them that we didn't talk about at all, which is definitely racist. Uh, because when you look at whole sets of casta paintings, they are organized in such a way that the people with the lightest skin are at the top and the people with the darkest skin are at the bottom. And there's a whole theme of racial purity that runs through the whole thing. And we didn't really get into any of that in the, uh, in the interview because the painting, the reason that painting is in the exhibition is because of the clothes that the people have on. Um, And the the cast of paintings themselves are sort of a whole separate genre. So uh, I definitely wanted to make that more clear because I did not do a very good job of explaining what the sets of paintings themselves are about when I was doing the interview um, and the, the question that Dennis was answering uh, was s- sort of specifically about what would prompt people to do this, which I think is a really interesting answer. The points that, that Mary raises, number one, there's the fact that we didn't say specifically that the paintings are pretty racist. They are, the way they describe people in a lot of ways is offensive, especially when you look at all of them. Even the one that is in the uh, the MFA's exhibition you know, it describes this child as a mulatto, which is a word that was in very common use for a very long time. I did not know until researching before doing that interview that the word mulatto comes from the same word stem as mule, which is obvious now that I see them in front of me on a piece of paper. Uh, but that, like, adds a whole other layer of offensiveness to that term. So one of the things that um, that Mary pointed out Uh, is that, I'm going to read a little piece of this, within a set, the clothing styles and compositions changed to show the class differences that went along with skin color, and the terms below the first two generations were used in legal documents. The terms for later generations were either made up by the artists or used only colloquially and only in certain regions. One translates as, quote, jump back, as in one-eighth African plus pure Indian equals a jump back in racial purity. Another is, I don't understand, as in, I don't know what to call you, because racial mixing in your family goes back too many generations. So I wanted to talk a little bit more directly about the paintings, since we didn't spend a lot of time on that in the uh, in the interview, which means we didn't give a very full account of what these spe- paintings were specifically about, uh, and bring up the, the the caste system that they sort of document, Um from the colonial period that the ramifications of that still exist today in terms of both racism and discrimination based on color in terms of people's skin tone that still exists, not just in Mexico and Latin America, but also in the United States. There are definitely uh, discriminatory views and practices that are related specifically to a person's color and what their skin looks like. Um, Regardless of exactly what their racial or ethnic ancestry is, so thank you, Mary, for writing in. Um, we had we had a, a whole conversation that, in which uh, she sent some pictures of some other collections of of casta paintings. Um, I still the thing that prompted me to ask about them, which I don't think I expressed very clearly when I was asking, was that like uh, the the fact that you would need to chronicle. A a set of racial hierarchies like that is implicitly a discriminatory idea. And so the I I wondered what kind of mentality led to like a need to spawn a whole genre of artwork to write that down, basically.
4: Yeah, that's it's a lot of work to go to to catalog humans.
0: Yeah, well, and it's still even even having all these uh, ideas of different influences that went into it still to me very odd that like anybody was like you know what we should do we should make sixteen paintings we should make sets of sixteen paintings detailing what happens when a person of one ethnicity marries or has a child with a person of another ethnicity like that to me is still whoa okay there's been a lot of uh racial and ethnic hierarchies that exist all over the world, this is the only instance I know of where it spawned an entire genre of formulaic art. So that is more detail about Casta paintings. If you would like to write to us about this or any other podcast, we're at HistoryPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash History and on Twitter at History. Our Tumblr is mistinhistory.tumblr.com, and we're on Pinterest at Pinterest.com slash history. Our Instagram is at mistinhistory as well. If you would like to learn more about what we've talked about today, you can come to our parent company's website, which is HowStuffWorks.com, and you can put the word Civil Rights Movement in the search bar, and you will find how the Civil Rights Movement worked. You can also come to our website, which is mistinhistory.com, and you will find show notes for all of our episodes. You will find an archive of every episode we have ever done, you'll find lots of other cool stuff. So you can do all that and a whole lot more at HowStuffWorks.com or MissingHistory.com For more on this and thousands of other
2: topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com
1: issues affecting the Latin community, and much more. Then, every Thursday, I'll be tackling trending stories and current events from our community. Listen to Life as a Gringo on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's been almost 3,000 years, and Greek mythology has proved that it is not going anywhere. But it can be difficult to find entertaining and engaging retellings of these myths that aren't fictionalized. Lucky for you, I'm here. Let's Talk About Myths, Baby is the Greek mythology and ancient history podcast of your dreams. I dive into the convoluted and confusing ancient sources so you don't have to. Listen to Let's Talk About Myths, Baby on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.